Good morning, church. It's fabulous to be with you here this morning and to have the opportunity to continue the series on God's Ten Rules for Life, our series on the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. I have the privilege of covering the tenth and final commandment, that which is do not covet. Do not covet. When we're talking about coveting, what we mean is don't, don't be resentful, don't be envious, don't be jealous of other people's possessions or their position in life. The secret, the secret to covetousness or to avoiding covetousness is divine contentment. The solution is living loved in divine contentment. Let's, uh, let's read from the scriptures before we go on. Just the, just the one verse in Exodus chapter 20. It's verse 17. You shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. You shall not cover your, covet your neighbor's house, wife, male servant, female servant, ox, donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbour. We live in a largely capitalist society, and capitalism is, is a breeding ground for covetousness, for envy, for jealousy, for competition, and for comparison. Growing up, the phrase that we would use was keeping up with the Joneses. And what we meant by that is keeping up with our neighbours, keeping up with those around us. You know, the Joneses, totally applicable since my name is Richard Jones. Don't need to keep up with me though. Uh, You know, keeping up with the Joneses meant, you know, the Joneses have got a three-bedroom house. You know, we should have at least a three-bedroom house and possibly a four-bedroom house. If the Joneses, our neighbours, drive a Jaguar, then we should drive a Ferrari. If the the Joneses go on holiday to Spain, we need to go on holiday to Barbados. And it's a game of one-upmanship. The question is, how much is enough? How many holidays? What kind of car? What kind of house? What kind of reputation? What kind of education? How, How much is enough? If we talk about it purely in terms of finances, in the, in the 1970s there was an article in Time magazine written by a therapist, a counsellor who ministered to the super rich, to the Elon Musks and the Bill Gates of the world. And his conclusion, having talked with these people, was this. He said, the despair, the despair, the hopelessness of the super wealthy is fathomless. The hopelessness, the despair of the super wealthy is fathomless. You see, when you've got all the money that you can possibly need, all the money to go and do anything that you would want to do, all the money that you need to keep up and to compete with the Joneses, what you discover is that it's not enough. That true contentment, the solution to jealousy and envy is not an issue of orchestrating and changing our outward circumstances. It's about the transformation of our hearts. 
Today's young people, today's up-and-coming generation have a completely different problem. Well, similar, but slightly worse, in that it's not about keeping up with the Joneses, it's about keeping up with the Kardashians. It's about keeping up with the illusionary lives uh, of TV or of uh, social media personalities Lives that have been heavily scripted, heavily edited, heavily choreographed to look perfect, to give the image of perfection, to give the image of everything being wonderful. And we're told that we need to keep up. If we want to be happy, if we want to be contented, then we've got to wear the right clothes, we've got to have the right brands, the right handbag, the right lipstick, the right car, we've got to hang out with the right people, we've got to hang out in the appropriate places, we've got to have friends on Facebook, we've got to have followers on Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. And how many likes have we got? Comparing and competing, coveting, envious, jealous of other people's situations. But this phenomena, this this area of brokenness that envies and desires is, is not exclusive to the world out there. We find it right here in the church. We find it right here in our hearts, in our Christian experience, so to speak. We compare ourselves with others. Am am I in the right church? Have I got the right ministry? Uh, Am I praying as as much as uh, this person or that person? Have I won enough souls to Christ? Uh, Am I doing it better than so-and-so? Is this person better than me? Even worse than that, we celebrate people's failures. We celebrate people's shortcomings because when they fail, we, we look good. And we see these things in, their, in our hearts. I, I see them in my heart. I wrestle with them in my heart. And it is an issue of the heart. When Jesus spoke uh, about the law, when he spoke about uh, adultery, he said, uh, even, as you, even if you look at a woman lustfully in your heart, then you've already committed adultery. If in your heart you hate your brother, then you've already murdered him. It's all about our hearts and the condition of our hearts. He took, Jesus took the external regulation and internalized it. Where are you living from? You see, what, I, what I've discovered in my own life, even contemplating this over the last couple of weeks, is there are still all kinds of covetous, envious, jealous, comparative and competitive thoughts inside of my heart. How, how can we be free? How can we enter into freedom? You know, I, I look at the Apostle Paul And the Apostle Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 3 that when it came to legalistic righteousness, he was perfect. When it came to following the rules, all 613 rules in the Torah, not just the 10 rules of 
of the Ten Commandments. But all 613, he looks at himself, he evaluated himself, and said, I'm, I could follow all of the rules. I got them all right. I lived them all perfectly. But then he goes on and he says, all of that is nothing. I count it all rubbish. I count it all refuge. You see, it's not enough to simply obey the rules. It's not enough to try and fulfill them in our own strength and in our own ability. And Paul tells this in the next chapter of Philippians, in, chap- in chapter 4, verse 11, he tells us the secret. He tells us the solution. He says this, I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. Sorry, let me say that again. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. What is that secret? The secret is, it's not in my strength. It's not in my ability. It's not my ability to follow the rules. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul knew what it is to live loved. He knew what it is to live in complete contentment, regardless of his outward circumstances, regardless of his outward situation. Paul lived, loved. He says this to us in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 16 and onwards, I pray that he might strengthen you. I pray that he might strengthen you in your inner being. I pray that you would be rooted and established in love. To know the love that surpasses knowledge. That you might be filled with all of the fullness of God. This was Paul's secret. Paul knew that the secret of contentment lay in being filled with divine contentment, with divine love, to live loved. Manifest love is not only the solution to covetousness and jealousy, it empowers our hearts to live as God lives, to naturally fulfil the law. In Romans chapter 13, Paul says this, it's, it's so clear. Chapter, Romans chapter 13 verses 9 and 10, the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, do not covet, and whatever other commandment they, there may be are all summed up in this one rule. Love your neighbour as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. That's the key phrase. Love is the fulfilment of the law. You see, what we need to do when we look at the Ten Commandments, the Ten Rules for Life, 
is we need to see the big picture. Our tendency is to judge them on face value, to see them purely as black and white commandments that we should either, that we should try to obey, that we should extend our will, we should extend self-discipline, we should use our strength to make sure that we stay in the lines, we don't colour outside the lines of those commandments. But the Hebrew language is not like that. Hebrew is always relational. And we've spoken about that through the course of this series. That that when God says, do not commit adultery, it's because he is a faithful God. And he desires for us to be in relationship with him. That when he says, do not steal, it's because he's a God who desires not to take but to give. A God who desires to bless and he wants us to abide in that place with him, in his life, in his love. The Ten Commandments are are not rules simply to be obeyed. They're, They're describing and defining to us the very nature of God and inviting us to step into his nature. You see, the Trinity don't wake up in the morning and recite the Ten Commandments. They don't wake up in the morning and say, let's, let's remember the rules that we need to live by, the rules that we need to abide by today. They simply dwell in perfect love. They, they extend and pour out to one another a love that is totally unselfish, a love that is totally focused on the other. They live in perfect love and as such they perfectly fulfill the law without thinking about it. It's the natural expression of who they are. Often we think about the way that we should live life, we think about the rules or the precepts or the commandments and we view these as the Christian life. This is, this is the one, two, three and the ABC of the Christian life. You shouldn't do this and you should do that. You shouldn't do this and you should do that. We see the Christian life as a journey that takes us towards an eternal destiny. We see the Christian life as a journey that takes us towards our heavenly home. But actually the Trinity have always been living the Christian life. In that sense, the New Testament actually, or the New Covenant, predates the Old Covenant. Father, Son and Holy Spirit have always been living the Christian life. They have always been living in perfect love. And the Christian life is not something that we have to aspire up towards. The Christian life is something that instead that descends from heaven into our hearts, transforming us from the inside out. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. God is love. And he who abides, he who is saturated in, who, he, he who is, is imbibed with love, abides in God and God abides in him. Love enables us to naturally fulfill the law and to, reg- and to reflect God's nature 
and personality. Really, if there's anything that we need to become experts in in this Christian life, we need to become experts in receiving love into our hearts. Romans 5.5, 5, the transform, transformational love of God, because God is love. And when we abide in love, we abide in him. We abide in his nature. More specifically than this, we need to find not just the love of God, but the love of our Father, the love of our Heavenly Father. Think of the parable in Luke chapter 15, so familiar. Two sons that need to come home. Not just one son, two sons. One lost in a distant land, one striving in the field, trying to obey his father's every command. And in fact, what he needs to do is come into the house, come into the place of intimacy. Several years ago now, I was in the Philippines, uh, in Manila, and I was visiting the home of a friend of ours. And... uh, He invited us to dinner. Nir and I were sitting around the table enjoying a meal with him. And uh, we were eating, he was a very wealthy man, we were eating this fabulous food. There were servants coming in and out and bringing in the best steak and, uh, you know, just all the best, the best, there were lamb, there was wonderful lamb, wonderful desserts. And we're sitting at the table and I'm just so enjoying the conversation with our host. As we're talking, I realized that I need to use the bathroom. And so I I said to him, you know, could I use the toilet? And he said, yeah, just, just go through those doors over there. You'll see the toilet on the other side of the room. I got up from my chair, walked across the room, opened the door and got an almighty shock. For standing on the other side of the door were three people with their ears pressed against the the gap between the two doors. These were three of uh, this gentleman's servants. They they were listening, waiting to, to be called, waiting to be told what to do, waiting to obey the next commandment that their master and his uh, and his wife might uh, might have for them. You know when I saw this father spoke to me so clearly Richard, this is what you're like. So often you're standing outside the door. You're, you're not entering into the place of intimacy with me. I want you to sit down at the table. I want to converse with you. I desire intimate relationship with you. In John 1 verse 18, we read that Jesus comes from the very bosom of the Father. The bosom of the Father is a place of rest, a place of contentment. In one of my favourite verses, I I don't apologise for quoting it again because it's so clear, Derek Prince uh, speaks about this verse in terms of a pathway and a destination. John 14 verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through through me. There's a pathway 
and there's a destination. The pathway is Jesus. The destination is the Father. Jesus said to his disciples, I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. In me you can come to the Father. The Father is the destination. Derek Prince comments this way. He says, so many of us are stuck on the way. We haven't entered into that place of contentment. We haven't entered into that place of rest. Several years ago, I was in India uh, in a place called Nagaland in the east of India. We were driving a four-hour drive from a small airport in a city called Diamapur. We were driving to another town, uh, a, a town called Kohima. Four-hour drive up this windy, windy road, dirt road. Just went, seemed to go on and on and on and on. It was early evening. There were these huge trucks coming down the road towards us. Often they would force us off the road onto the verge. And it just seemed to go on and on and on. We'd already travelled, I think, probably about a day and a half, flying into India and across to Diamapur. And I could all, all I could think about was when are we going to arrive? When are, when are we when are we going to uh, arrive at our destination? And I can take a shower. I can have a shower. I can get cleaned up. I can get into bed and I can go to sleep. I can rest. You see, for so many of us, we're like this. We're still trying to orchestrate our outward circumstances. We've come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We are in Christ, but Christ is bringing us to the Father. He is the place of contentment. He is the destination. So many of us, as Derek Prince says, are stuck on the way. We haven't come home. And so we look for fulfillment through other means, through competition, through comparison. We find ourselves envious and jealous of others, trying to prove something, trying to find our wealth. We'll only ever find true contentment in the arms of the Father. We discover a place of freedom, of fulfillment, of contentment in his arms. Freedom from covetousness. Freedom from envy. Freedom from jealousy. We discover what it is to live loved. We find ourselves naturally fulfilling the law when we live loved. Let's take a moment Let's take a moment. Now, even in this moment right now, Father's reaching out to us. Whatever situation you find yourself in, whatever your lack, whatever your need, wherever you see within yourself areas of jealousy, areas of covetousness, areas of frustration and dissatisfaction, his arms are wide open to us to embrace us, to hold us. And we can bring all of that brokenness, we can bring our hearts just as they are to him. 
that he might meet all of the needs that we've ever longed for. That we might live loved.